Uh, I mean, I mean, seriously, we, for the last five years, have been looking for a place to move to. You know, this, this property is sold, and so we've got to be out at the end of 2016. And so, you know, timelines and stuff are going to be really fast coming up. So you'll probably get a lot of updates as they move forward, but it's cool. Uh, we're, we're actually going to have a place where there, there aren't flies everywhere, and it's air-conditioned, and you're not sweating like crazy. Unless we're, like, talking about hell, then we'll, like, turn up the heat and this you know. And, and can you just imagine 10 years from now, right? And, and, and no one understands what it was like, like in this room, right? And when you start cracking jokes about it, you're like, what? You're like, you have no idea. I sacrificed for the gospel of Jesus Christ by being an element. I, I have one, one announcement to tell you about as we get going. Um, Santa Barbara County Food Bank, I talked to one of the ladies there this week, and I wanted to let you know if you are interested in doing their, uh, their empty bowls fundraiser. It's 25 bucks a ticket. I think they only have 30 tickets left. Uh, but I told her I would talk about it to you guys. It's Wednesday this week from 11.30 to 12.30. And if you want directions on, on where to go and how to get there, they're a great organization to support. There's 11.30 and a 12.30. Give you like a ceramic bowl, put soup in it, but it all goes to help out Santa Barbara County Food Bank. So if you need directions, you want to know how to get there or that kind of stuff, talk to me afterwards and I'll let you know. All right, so welcome to Element. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes in all the community tables throughout the room. Uh, the, the sermon notes are going to have the verses and the questions and different things to kind of go a little bit deeper than we talk about. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. Click on Live and Uversion. It will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You will get the sermon notes, the verses, and the questions and all that goes along with what we talk about today. Also, I know because it has been hot, the little gnats and flies have been hanging around like the wine and the grape juice on the communion tables. So we put fans in all the communion tables to try and blow them away. So like, oh, I'm going to let them know. So, so we're trying to help you guys out. Doing okay. All right. I want you guys to stand there reading God's word. We will get started here. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. And Jesus says this, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we'd be a people who understand your great grace and your great love. That we would be able to live and move in this world as you call us to, as your children who aren't anxious but live in a way that honors you. That everything that we do would bring great glory to who you are in your name. Amen. Have a seat. So this is a Sermon on the Mount. We're at week 36 this week. Uh, This is about asking, seeking, and knocking. Uh, If you have a Bible, open to Matthew chapter 7, because that's where we're at. And these verses we're going to look at have led to some confusion in the Christian church, depending on what type of tradition you come from. Uh, some churches out there read these verses and they think that God has to do whatever you ask Him to do. And the only reason you don't have something that you want to have is that you haven't asked. As if all Christianity is about you and not about God. But it sounds like a lot of churches you go to. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through this. We're going to talk about it so we're all on the same page. So Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11, Jesus says... Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And a lot of people look at that and they say, well, there it is. It's in black and white. I mean, didn't you wish you knew that earlier? Want a Ferrari? Ask. Ask. Uh, if you're hooked on drugs and you want better drugs, seek. God's supposed to give you what you want. Uh, if you want a bigger and better house, knock. Preferably on someone's door of the house that you want. 
Hi, I prayed to God for this house. Can I have it? You know, that kind of thing. And you hear this a lot. You just need to ask. You just need to seek. You just got to knock. And then they go on the rest of the day because God is a good father. And what kind of good father, you know, well, what father doesn't want to give a kid exactly what he asks for? That's my question for you, Element. What kind of dad doesn't want to give his kid exactly what he wants? A good dad. A good dad doesn't give his kid exactly what he wants. You should be a good parent that says no. Because if you don't, you're going to be eating Cheetos for dinner. You're going to be living in a swimming pool. You're going to be everywhere you go. You're going to drive in a motorcycle with a sidecar. You're going to go out to mow the lawn. You're not going to actually do one with cuts grass, but it puts bubbles up in the air. That, that's what's going to happen to you. And so, and so you need to be a dad or a parent that's able to say no. A dad who gives their kids everything is going to kill their kids by being an idiot. And if I were to ask right now, by the standard way that people normally look at these verses, what comes to mind? What images and phrases about ask, seek, and knock? Where does your mind immediately go. Mine tends to go right here. Oh, hold on. No one's paying attention to me. Oh, never mind. There you go. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amen. Oh, yeah. Worked hard all my lifetime. No help from my friends. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Right? Right? It's kind of... <laughs> where else do you get Janice Joplin in church service, right? Yeah. It's like you ask God and, and, he, and he's got to give you stuff, you know? But then think about this because it's really serious. What then happens when it's really serious? You know, like I knocked and she still has cancer. Or I seeked and I'm still alone. Or I asked and I still don't have a job. You know, people who just think it's about getting stuff, they start to turn this around and say, well, if you didn't have it, well, it's your own fault because you didn't have enough faith. It makes God a means to our own ends, unless Jesus is talking about something completely different. So I'm going to walk through this with you, give you some cool stuff in here about asking, seeking, and knocking, and the whole idea of what God is a good father in the midst of it. This may not even be things you've heard before, so go with me to the end so we can pull it all together And as I frustrate you through this. Uh, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, this is how it's gone. Jesus talks about blessing in Matthew chapter 5. The first 12 to 14 verses, we spent four months just on the Beatitudes, so we understand that God is a God who blesses. You know, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the poor in spirit. God comes in and he blesses and out of that understanding of who God is we become salt and light in the world we then begin to live and worship a different way we live in righteousness and what Jesus does then is he talks about all the negative things as well as the positive things that can pull us out of relationship with God and we focus on those things first and so he goes all the way through the rest chapter 5 the beginning of chapter 6 and then Jesus gets to the Lord's prayer At the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus starts off and he says, you pray like this. You talk to God like this. Our Father in heaven. It starts off with the understanding that God is a good dad. He is our Father who is in heaven. And everything comes out of that. And then Jesus moves into prayer and then giving and being generous. And then he moves into a place of how we interact with ourselves and the rest of the world, how we become anxious or not anxious. Uh, Matthew six twenty five, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. He starts to talk about our disposition towards the world and teaches us how not to be anxious within it. Why are we not anxious? Because it goes back because God is a good father. That's where we start. I mean, do you know how many calories you burn with stress? Not a lot. 
Not a lot. Actually, what stress does is it lowers your core temperature, so you actually burn less calories. It raises what's called cortisol in your system, which makes you store fat more easily, especially in the belly. See, now you're totally stressed out about that, right? You're like, oh, my goodness. Now what am I going to do with that? You know what helps you deal with stress? Regular exercise, nutritious eating, B vitamins, but most importantly, resting your entire life in Jesus' hands. I mean, that's where it has to start. And so Jesus says, when you place all of your life before God, when you surrender all of yourself, even what you will eat and drink and what you will wear, like the birds do, like the flowers of the field, when you surrender all that, the anxiety starts to diminish. You actually start to go away because you are no longer trusting yourself to yourself. You're trusting yourself to Jesus. And we become more of a peaceful presence in the world around us. And that doesn't mean we're not passionate. It doesn't mean we don't get angry. It doesn't mean we don't have joy. It means that we're not anxious and we know that everything's going to be okay because it starts with understanding the fatherhood of who God is. So Jesus does all this and he starts to move it outward on us. How not to be anxious with things that come our way, but then how not to be anxious with others. Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. One of the ways when we're very anxious that we start to deal with things in our world is we try to manipulate the people around us to get them to do what we want. We try to control them. We only see people for what they can actually do for us. And so we condemn and we critique and we're always looking the speck in somebody else's eye and never the log in our own. Then he goes to Matthew 7, 6. Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. Because when you, when you can't manipulate somebody through negative stuff, you start trying to shower them with things and good things to still make them do what you want. It's all about control. It's all about anxiety. Negatively through judging and condemning. Positively through pushing gifts and pearls upon people. And so what Jesus does is he does surgery on our hearts. You've got to start with the blessing of God, understanding the fatherhood of God, and everything goes out from there to the place we no longer try to manipulate and control others. We no longer try to put people down or shame them to get them to do what we want or give them gifts to make them do what we want. Jesus, what he says is, you were created to be a certain way, and that's not how you were meant to be human with each other. It doesn't honor God. And so if you're no longer trying to manipulate people, then how do you relate to people in a healthy way? Well, this is where the next passage comes in. Ask, seek, and knock. And in context, because you always have to look at the scripture in context. In context, is the ask, seek, and knock primarily about prayer and us asking God for stuff? Or is the flow of the passage then how we are relating to one another? And this might throw a wrench in your works, you know, everything you ever thought about these verses. But what if ask, seek, and knock in this context is about how we relate not just to God but to other people. And so I want you to look at this with me. And and again, don't turn me off. I think Jesus is giving us a great teaching and how to understand how to interact with each other. Because throughout the scripture, we are told to ask. We are told to ask God for things. I mean, Jesus says, pray for daily bread, strength for each day, all of that. But even sometimes when he talks about that, we still take those things out of context. Matthew 18, 19, Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now, some people take this and they go, well, two or three are gathered in your name. There you are with us and those things. Okay, it's so wonderful. And we're so glad because there's more than two or three in this room, so God obviously is here. If you take that, how that's supposed to mean something like that, imagine about like the poor single missionary in the Sudan who's all alone. And he reads that and, oh, thank you, God, for saying you weren't going to be with me because it's just me here. Oh, this is... Unless it means something else. Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive. If you have faith, oh, it's about my faith. No, in context, Jesus, it's okay to ask, but it's bigger than that. We are told to seek. You know, God throughout the scriptures say we should be a people who seek him. 
Proverbs 8.17, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Jeremiah 29.13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Knocking, Jesus knocks on the door of our heart, Revelation 3.20. But in context of where we've been, Jesus and his trajectory about where he's gone through and where he's going, it really seems like Jesus is still talking about others. Now, how can this be with the language he uses? Well, I think when we ask something of someone else, we're honoring them and the will God gave them. When we ask somebody we are respecting, judging, condemning, manipulating, forcing a will on others, that is not respecting. Asking, seeking, knocking is a different posture towards people and towards God. It is one of humbleness. It's one of humility where other people can say yes or no, just like God as a good father can say yes or no. Let me explain what this is like. A few years ago, I was in Thailand during the short-term little mission trip, and I caught a bug. Literally caught a bug. Or really, the bug kind of caught me, because that's just kind of how it works. And so, it's during this whole bird flu epidemic, like 8 to 10 years ago. We're in Bangkok, Thailand. The day we're supposed to leave, I'm sitting on the curb in front of the place that we were staying. It's 95 degrees outside, and I am just shivering. I'm like... My teeth are chattering. It was, I was so cold. And so the guys were staying with look at me, and they go, they will not let you on the plane like that. You, you've got to do something. I'm like, what am I supposed to do about this? this, this is what. So we're driving to the airport. Right when we get there, my chills break, and I just start sweating. I am sweating buckets. And we walk into the airport, and it's nice and, and air-conditioned and cool, and everyone's, like, really happy except for me because I'm poor and sweat, and I'm pasty white. And they're like, are you Okay. And I'm like, fine, thank you for asking. Appreciate it, you know. So I fake my, my way on the plane. I spread the epidemic worldwide. Zombie apocalypse, Ebola, me, patient zero. You're welcome. That's how we all got it. Now I get home, and I go to my doctor. The doctor thought it was malaria, and it very well could have been malaria, but they give me a whole bunch of drugs for a whole lot of things, and these drugs almost kill me. At one point, I am so out of it. I mean, I, like, i got to get to the doctor's office. Like, I can't see my phone to dial my relatives. The, the drugs that actually made me deaf by that point just... Have you ever taken malaria medication? Anybody? Makes you... Yeah, did your ears ring? It's like, you're like, you can't hear a thing. And so I can't see, I can't hear. And I'm like, i got to call my friend John Warren. He lives down the street. I'm going to go to his house because I can't. So I get out my front door. I thought I made it halfway down the street. I made it into the next driveway. I'm like, and, I'm there. and the neighbor comes out. And he's like, I'll just go back in the house. You know, no. no, he's like, are you okay? I'm like, get John Warren. And I'm doing this thing. So he gets me back to my house. He goes and gets John. John puts me in his car. Throw up again. Takes me to the doctor. I walk in the doctor's office. What's wrong? Horrible. All I got is bile left. Now I'm throwing up bile. And I'm, and I'm sitting there. And I'm like, oh, what do I? And so they, they take me back home. Literally four to six weeks I had this thing. I mean, I lost like 45 pounds. I don't have 45 to lose. I don't. I mean, 45 pounds is like, that's like on my skin or something. I got, I got enough. And so, and, and in the middle of it, there's this college ski trip, and, and John and my wife, and everybody's gone. And I'm thinking, in the middle of this, if this happens again, what can I do? Who can I call? I mean, if I knew you, could I have called you? And that, that's actually a real question, because this could very easily happen again to me, because it happens a lot. If I'm that sick, can I call you? Raise your hand. Can I call you? Okay. You know what asking has just done? Asking has connected us. That's what it has just done. Imagine you have a friend, and maybe they're pregnant, and all their family is gone, and they have no one to call them, but they're going into labor. You would want them to call you to take them to the hospital, wouldn't you? 
Of course you would. What if you have a friend who's going like through a dark night of the soul and they're sitting on the side of their bed and it's, and it's 3 a.m. and they don't know who to call? You'd probably say, call me, right? Because asking connects us together. I mean, when you find out someone's been in bad shape and they didn't talk to you, they didn't call you or, or something like that, you can actually almost take it the exact opposite way. You can be offended by it. It's like you were going through that and you didn't call me? I mean, what do you think about me? What do you think about our friendship? Because asking connects us. And I think when Jesus here starts talking about asking, seeking, and knocking in this context, he gives us a vision of what we are to, how to naturally interact with each other. It's not anxiously. We're not judging each other. We're not trying to manipulate each other. It's a way that we get to go and talk to each other naturally. And people can say yes or they can say no. But it's with God-centralized communal intent. It's not using someone. It's just doing life together. It's helping, honoring. It's understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ, how it's lived out with one another, living in gospel community. I think one of the reasons we don't ask each other a lot of times is the disease of independence in our lives. In our culture, the polluted water we all swim in is self-sufficiency. We think we all got to do it ourselves. I'm going to put a sentence on the board behind me right here, or on the keynote behind me here, and see what comes to mind when we put this up. So here's the first line. What do you put in the blank? Ah, that's what I put. Okay, put it up there. Okay, right? So this leads to my next line, which is this. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, there you go. That's what I put, right? So Eugene is a... Uh, there you go. Sound guy just like not on it today. So, <laughs> or not, sorry, keynote guy. So, so th- this is kind of where we normally go. Now... What if Eugene is 11 years old? Oh, then Eugene needs to live at home. Okay, I get it. Yeah, that's good. But what if Eugene is 49 and plays World of Warcraft all day? Okay, well, then Eugene just might be a loser. And we have this trajectory in American society where if you're not on it, what we think you need to do, we start to judge one another. And, And so when Jesus talks about judging, it's not like saying, hey, Eugene, go get a job, start living with your mommy. It's the idea is when you judge, it's taking that other person and you're, and you're saying their worth before God is less than you. And so it's okay to come in and say, hey, Eugene, get a job. But our trajectory is if you're not working away from dependence upon someone, then something's wrong with you. Eugene is a loser. Now, this manifests in everything that we do. Have you ever asked somebody for help? And you have all these little phrases like, oh, I'm so sorry to be calling you this late. Think, seriously, sorrow because we might inconvenience somebody? It grieves me in my soul to ask you to do something that may not be the easiest thing in the world for you to do. My friend Pete, he's a great contractor. He loves to help when he has time. Okay, he lo- loves to help, uh, except when I'm like covered in band-aids because I can't figure out how to do anything, and then he just laughs at me, so I guess that's okay too. But when I ask him for help, I am always apologizing first. I'm always going, oh, hey, I'm really sorry, butter. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, he's always happy to help. What happens is my apology says something about me. It doesn't say anything about him. Like I say, like, oh, I know this is the last thing you want to do, but... Seriously, the last thing you want to do? I think the last thing somebody wants to do is eat a jar of pickles. That should be like the last thing you want to do. My friend Kevin, he's an electrician and a plumber. I feel terrible every time I got to call him and ask him for something. Uh, The last time I called him, I actually wrote this down so I wouldn't forget it. I said this, I hate to ask you this, but... I'm like, and that's the thing about this message, and I'm like, hmm, hate? That's a pretty strong word. I think we should hate like racism and hate rape, but I don't know if we should actually, hate should be the word that we use for asking someone to help us. And, and we use these type of words and phrases. I mean, what if somebody was say back to you, really, hate? 
you really have sorrow deep in your heart for asking me to help you? Is that what our friendship is? I mean, if somebody asked us that back, it probably might wake us up just a little bit, right? I mean, asking, seeking, and knocking, what it starts to do is it starts to expose the ways our culture has begun to ruin the communities that God intended for you and I to live within. Asking, seeking, and knocking is a beautiful way that we should interact with other people in the kingdom of God. I mean, how often do people do something nice for you? And maybe one of your first responses is, oh, we've got to have them over for dinner. You know, because we, we've got to be able to say thank you. We've got to, we've got to balance the scales. We've got to do this, right? And you should say thank you to people, okay? I'm not saying you should. You should say thank you. But when there's an invisible scorecard about, oh, I've got to make the slate the same, that is not what the kingdom was ever supposed to be. And I know what you're saying, because this is where almost everybody goes when we talk about this. Well, what about the crazy homeless guy clause? Or what about the crazy relative clause? Or I got this mother-in-law, I've given them so much money, and it always goes to the lotto. When I say something, they say, yeah, but that goes to the schools. You know, things like that. We all have this reflex that automatically goes to the abuse. And that's where we want to sit and focus. Like when it says knock, they're literally on your front door knocking. Like, hey, can I have some gas money? Well, how'd you get here? Uh, it all just seems kind of fishy, right? <laughs> Everything just seems a little bit fishy. Well, this goes to what Jesus talks about next. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What Jesus starts to do is he starts talking about interactions with understanding the fatherhood of God in the midst of it. A good father is the one who is able to say no. Because sometimes giving those people help that are always just using you isn't helping them. It's actually making things worse. But think about this. What is the craziest thing your kids have ever asked for? Who's got kids? Okay. What's the craziest thing your kids have ever asked for? Give me something. you got to say it loud, though. A motorhome. How old was he? Five years old. I want a motorhome. I need the pedals that kind of go up here so I can, like, drive it and stuff. But I want a motorhome. I'm five. First service, Jack was here. Jack's six years old. He wanted a phone, a cell phone. Hey, baby, what's up? Jack, send. Who are you going to send it to? No other six-year-old has a cell phone. What else? Something else crazy? Anybody? Car. Hummer. Hummer. How old? Oh, 11. That's okay. She's old enough to know what it is. I want a Hummer because I'm going to run over everything. Because that's just how it works. Now, Now, think about this, though, okay? This. Would you rather have your kids ask you, you know, for everything, even though some of those things are crazy and you can say no, would you rather have your kids never ask you for anything at all? Of course you want them to ask. Of course you want them to ask. You know, and, and this is what Jesus starts to do when he starts to talk about it. You may ask for some crazy stuff. And God, a lot of times, is going to say no to you. God doesn't feel bad. He doesn't feel guilty about saying no, just like you shouldn't either. But God likes to be asked. And so if you say no, you shouldn't feel guilty in that because sometimes you're responding the way that you should in a given situation. There are times, probably more than you and I do, that we should actually say no. Second uh, Thessalonians 3.10, the Apostle Paul says, For even when we are with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And just like you should be able to say no to many things, it's also okay when somebody asks. We should not be fearful about saying no. Hopefully people won't be offended by our no, but you also shouldn't be offended in the end by their asking. Based on these verses, when you look at how God does things, you know, God doesn't mind our asking for everything. And by us beginning to understand what God says yes and no to will help us to understand him and his heart better. 
I mean, this is part of the discipline that God actually does for his children. Through discipline, the father is seeking to cultivate his children so we become self-disciplined, so we don't continually need a wooden spoon or a jail cell to keep us in line. Listen, Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. The principle here is that only a loving father can discipline his kids in the right way because it's love and discipline coming hand in hand. And our God lovingly delights in us. A father who doesn't delight and love his children, disciplining them is going to be mean, angry, and violent. It starts in love and moves to the discipline. Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. A father must be careful to discipline. Proverbs 13, 23, uh, Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will save his soul from shoal. That's the word for the grave. The issue is this. If you wait too long to love or you wait too long to discipline your kids, they may die before they're corrected. Then all hope is extinguished by tragic circumstances. See, when I was in high school, I had this friend. His name was Aaron, same as mine. And Aaron and I used to talk about this because his parents never put boundaries on his life. And he was always pushing farther and farther to try and find that boundary. He would tell me this. I just want my parents to love me by saying no at some point. And they never would. It ended up when we were in high school, uh, Aaron OD'd and was found dead in his driveway. And I directly related to his parents never putting boundaries around him and saying no. And there, just as there are reasons, you know, you would tell your crazy relatives no or your crazy kid no when they ask for stuff, there are good reasons when God says no to us. But God also says, ask, please. It's the silence that's deadly. When Jesus talks about this, he doesn't make this disclaimer that says, ask, seek, and knock, unless it's that one crazy lady down the street because she's an idiot. I mean, that's not what he does. I mean, we, we would want to always offset this teaching by something else, but Jesus doesn't do it. Jesus says, just ask, just ask. Because just as much as the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us how to relate to God differently, it's teaching us how to relate to one another differently as well. I think Jesus wants us to understand what the gift of asking is better. This is why he says, which one of you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? In, in that culture, you know, bread represent, resembled stones a lot. I mean, maybe you had a, your mom was a really bad cook, and, and her bread looked like stones too. Maybe tasted like it. Ah, hockey puck. Thanks, mom. Whatever, you know. Or it, also in this culture, there's historical evidence that some fish actually resembled serpents. It said, if then you are evil, and Jesus is brutally honest about the human condition, we are warped and sinful. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, he knows us what we, he made us capable of. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And again, he turns it back to understanding our relationship with God as a father again. But you have to understand, verse 12, I think it all goes together. He then flips it back around. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. He brings it back to others again. And Jesus is simply brilliant. And I wish I could get you guys to walk out here just understanding the deepness of this. Because we have a Western mindset. And our mindset is, well, you know, is is this us and us or us and God? Which is it? Is it us and each other or or us us and God? Which is it? It's got to be one or the other. The scriptures are written from an Eastern mindset, an Eastern perspective, like those of a good Jewish rabbi. And Jesus is a good Jewish rabbi. So if you walk to him and you said, Jesus, is this us and us or us and each other? You know what Jesus would say? Yep. 
That's the technical Hebrew term right there. Yep, that's what you get. And you see this blurring of the lines, these things coming together. Is this prayer or is it relationship with others? The writers of the New Testament leave a lot of these things unclear to be inclusive and expansive as possible. Matthew 6, 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's these two things flowing together. Us and us, us and God. James 3, 8 and 9. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. For from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so. It is impossible to praise God with the same tongue that demeans people. When we slander one another, we are slandering God. When we worship God, it comes to the respect and honoring of His image in people around us. One tongue can't do both. 1 John 4.20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom, has, whom he has not seen. Again, together, us and us, us and God. And Jesus does the same thing, so we would get it. The way we interact with others is deeply reflective of our relationship that we have with God. It reflects how we understand Him as a Father. It shapes how we interact with others. Which one of you, if a son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Do you think God's like that? Do you think God's just going to give you stones? If you think God only hands out stones, it's going to shape what you hand to other people. If you think God only hands out stones, you're going to struggle with generosity your entire life. It all comes down to Jesus. Nobody that I know who is generous in their heart sees God handing out stones. They see him handing out bread, and that translates into their wallets. I think hopefully through planting roots, you guys got to the place where you understood that as well, that God is a good dad. No one who sees God as handing out stones are people who live generous lives that love and reach out to other people. I mean, even when your life's falling apart, do you still see God as being generous? This is the idea of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus invites us to understand the entirety of the gospel, that we were a lost people. We had dug a hole. We would never get out of it. And so Jesus comes to live, die, rise from the dead for our sin, what separated us from us and God and each other. And that gospel is personally for us. It saves us personally, but it's lived out in the midst of other people. We live it with others. This is the understanding of it, that Jesus invites us not only to rethink how we interact with others, but how we interact with him as a good father who has come to rescue and save his people. We must be a people who understand grace and truth, the good father, and what grace-centered community is supposed to be. And it comes out of understanding first him and his goodness because he is the God who saved his people. And when we understand the blessing that comes out of that, we then become a blessing to those around us. Because how could we live any different? How could we show the world anything different but the great graciousness of our God who has saved us? This is why at the end of every service, we bring you guys to communion. Uh, You know, communion is where you break that cracker like Christ's body has been broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice because it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. Uh, on a lot of the community tables, we put you know pieces of paper over it, so pull that off so you can dip it in there so the flies don't get it. But you, know. but you do that because it reminds us of the great grace of Jesus who saved his people. And we live in great humbleness knowing what he has done. And then that is then lived out in our relationships with others. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you to take communion, sing a couple songs as we go through this. Uh, and there's also going to be some deacons and elders in the back. 
And if you need prayer, I mean, maybe you've been in a place in your life where you haven't understood asking, seeking, and knocking. You've always thought it's been about your faith and not understanding God as a good father. Well, they'd love to pray with you about that. They would love to talk to you about, you know, the deep things of Jesus and what that means. Because I think once we understand the goodness of who God is, it changes everything that we do. It changes how we interact in everything that we do in our life. And I think it makes us a people who are able to worship better and fuller because we understand what our God has done to save his people. Because it's not because we are so good. It's because he is so good. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. And we give because God gave so much to us. Giving simply part of our worship. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to what God has done. And so if you want to give, you've got to respond. There's also cake in the back. And we put all that cake there because it is Celebration Sunday. And we think God is amazing for what he's done in our hearts and our lives. And I think God is going to turn us into an amazing people as well. Because it all starts with him. So grab some cake. If you're you know, feeling a little down and low, eat some sugar. You don't want a good nap later? Eat some sugar. You'll crash later. Or feed it to your kids, and they'll be like all crazy all day long, and then you'll never get any sleep, but whatever. You know. Grab something to eat. Meet some other people. Maybe you know, talk through some of the questions that, that are in the sermon notes. And go a little bit deeper. I mean, if you would like to get involved and connected to one of the gospel communities, well, uh, go to the Welcome Center in the back. We'll have someone get in touch with you and connect you better. Because we believe that, yes, God saves us individually, but our, our Christian life is meant to be lived corporately with one another. Because this is the community that God calls us into. And it's beautiful that we can understand it through the ideas of asking, seeking, and knocking. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take us as a people and you would help us to understand the great gift that it is to be able to ask of one another and really what it is to ask of you. I ask that you would take us and, and calm down our anxious and worried and busy minds so that we would better be able to focus on who you are. I ask that you would teach us to trust the great grace that you have bestowed upon us as a gift. And God, quite frankly, when we ask for things, your grace is even more in the places where you say no. Teach us to be a people who honor you deeply by coming to understand better your yeses and your noes. Help us to interact better with those around us. Not always feeling like we have to say yes because we feel guilty, but we can say no at times because no is the best thing for somebody. But also those places where we've been saying no that we probably need to say yes to. Teach us how to be a people who best reflect your presence in this world. That you save us and send us as your hands and feet out there to be your ambassadors. So teach us to live as those ambassadors. People who live with a deep and yet childlike faith. A people of full and honest grace and praise. Of our great God and Father who saved his wayward children. Teach us. To live in that grace and goodness. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.